Good morning, people of God. Great to be back here with you after a brief hiatus. Last Sunday, we were away for an anniversary trip, and on that trip, I managed to, I think, get my health back after four weeks of congestion and sniffles, so I am immensely grateful and energized to be here today. These past four weeks, we've been reflecting on some of the core elements of what we do in here on Sundays together from the Christian year, represented by the different colors you see up here, uh, to the offering, to the significance and meaning of Holy Communion, and then last week, Stephen talked to us about preaching and why we uh, sing together on Sundays. Today, we're going to wrap up this series by focusing on what's happening right now, the sermon. By the way, that's the pulpit I used to preach in over uh, when I was in Cambridge, and that is the pulpit that a guy called Hugh Latimer once preached out of, so it was a real privilege to, to preach in that pulpit. The, so the sermon, as, as you all probably know, is an absolutely central aspect of Christian corporate worship. Jesus preached, uh, his disciples preached, that is what he told them to do, go forth and preach the gospel to the nations. The disciples of Jesus' disciples preached, and so forth and so on, down to this very pulpit right here and every other pulpit uh, in and around the area. And so for that reason, preaching, it has been said, is a mark of the true church. What's the definition of the church? Well, one of the definitions is a place where the gospel is preached. John Calvin, a great theologian of the Reformation, I think summarizes this apostolic resolution very well when he writes this. He says, the foundation of the church is the teaching of the prophets and the apostles. That's the Old and the New Testament. We must therefore value with all reverence the ministry of the word, the preaching of the scriptures of God. For where preaching is overturned, surely the death of the church follows. Boom. So I want you to hold those weighty words in mind as we consider in the next little while the nature and purpose of the sermon. That's what we're going to do. And before I say anything else, let me prepare. Lord God, as Scripture has now been opened to us, your Scripture opened for us, send your Spirit to open our hearts to your Word so that we would receive it gratefully, that we would inwardly digest it and be nourished and transformed spiritually by it. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a pastor and a taxi driver die the same day. They both were men of faith, and so they end up at the pearly gates. And as they're checking, you know, checking in there, getting ready to get settled into their new heavenly abodes, um, and they meet St. Peter, of course. He's the realtor up there uh, in heaven. So he's walking down a road of rubies with the two of them. He says, let's go together. I'll get you both settled in at one time. They walk down this road of rubies, and they see a large mansion, enormous house, and uh, St. Peter looks at the taxi driver and said, this is for you, good sir. Of course, the taxi driver is absolutely elated because it's a much bigger place than he ever lived in before. Uh, so they get the taxi man settled in. They take his suitcases, get everything unpacked. And then uh, St. Peter turns to the preacher and said, okay, let's go get you settled in. So they walk on down the road. They turn left. And the preacher notices that the houses begin to get a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller and, in fact, quite small. And then they stop in, a, in front of a very modest house, kind of a glorified hut, really. And uh, St. Peter says, and this reverend... This one is for you. As you might imagine, the pastor was a little bit surprised, kind of taken aback. For four decades, I faithfully cared for your flock. Uh, you know, I looked after people. I preached Sunday after Sunday. And St. Peter said, that's right, and we thank you for that. To which the pastor replied, well, <clears throat> why is it that I am going to be in this tiny little hovel while that taxi driver back there is in that mansion off of Ruby Lane? To which Peter says, ah, well, here's the thing. When you preached, people snoozed. But when they rode in his taxi, they prayed. You better believe they prayed. <laughs> they did. Now, it is no secret that when people hear the word preaching or sermon, another word can race to mind really quickly, and that word is boring. 
That word is boring. Indeed, one of the ten definitions for the word sermon in the Oxford English Dictionary is, quote, a long and tedious piece of admonition or reproof which can be curative for those who struggle with insomnia. And while that sentiment is not entirely without basis, sometimes preachers can be unnecessarily dull, that is a far cry from the scriptural vision of preaching. You see, according to Jesus, according to the apostles, the guys who wrote the New Testament, sermons are not to be tedious. They should not be boring. So what should they be? According to Scripture, preaching should be at least three things. It should be biblical, it should be creative, and it should be concerned with encounter. Biblical, creative, and concerned with encounter. So let's explore these three pillars of God's vision for what a sermon should be. We'll start there with the first one, preaching should be biblical. What does that mean? Very simply put, it means that in terms of the core substance, the sermon should draw from Scripture. And it should do that in a manner which is explicit and unapologetic. This is what St. Paul teaches in 2 Timothy 4, which Kim just read for us. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and dead, to preach the word and be ready to do that in season and out of season. Now, here's something you need to know about this passage. Paul wrote that while he was in jail. He's in prison. But it's not just that. He all, his death is also imminent, and he knows he's about to die. And so there is an urgency in what he says, and everything that he writes. He's basically saying, Timothy, I am fading. My days are numbered, so please listen up. Listen carefully. got something really, really important to say. And at the center of that urgency, and this is the important thing that Timothy needs to hear, it's what we need to hear, all of us, especially those who preach, is this right there in verse 2. Preach the word. Preach the word. Do not abandon God's word. Do not adapt God's word. Do not apologize for God's word, but preach it. Preach the Word of God as it is found in the Bible. And that is what should always be happening in churches, says St. Paul. This is something you should be able to count on whenever you come into a church. But alas, this is not always what is happening in churches. Because the thing called the sermon can often be about anything and everything except the Word of God. And that can happen, by the way, in liberal churches. And it can happen in conservative churches. I've been in left-leaning and in right-leaning churches. I've been in both, and there can be a tendency, a bad habit, to preach chiefly on whatever themes happen to be trendy in society at the moment. And that means that the core substance of the sermon is not biblical exposition, which is what St. Paul says it should be. Instead, the sermon becomes a forum for peddling whatever ideas the preacher happens to fancy. We're sprinkling a little bit of Scripture on top if you're lucky. When that happens, it's a farce. And it is a tragedy because if there is one place where you should be confident that you will always hear God's word explained and unpacked and applied and preached in good faith, it should be right here in the church. Think of it this way. You go into a doctor's office to get medical advice. That is what you expect. That is what you count on. Yes? You go into a lawyer's office. You go see Chase. You want some legal counsel. You want earnest legal advice. That is what we count on. You go into Starbucks. You expect to pay too much for coffee. That is what you count on. We all know that. In like manner, when you go into a church, you should count on hearing preaching from the Word of God. And that is an entirely fitting expectation based on what St. Paul says. And so practically, in a very applied way, that means that here at CTK, Christ the King... What we're doing in every Sunday service is constantly trying to orient your mind and your eyes to Scripture. It's why I have the Scripture printed in the service sheet. It's why we have the Scripture displayed on the screen. Because ultimately, it is not what I say or any other preacher, Rob, Stephen, any guest preacher. It is not what we say that matters, but what God's Word said. That is the only thing that's eternal. My words are going to fade. But God's Word is eternal. The same yesterday and today 
and forever. The entrance of your word, O Lord, gives light. And we all need light. Related to this, I should add that by preaching in a way that explicitly references the text of Scripture, by putting that in front of you, what we're doing is inviting you into the process of interpreting it. And the goal there is not just to feed you, but also to help teach you to feed yourself. The goal is not just to give you a fish, but also to give you a net. All of us need to grow in our ability to read the Bible well and in a trustworthy manner. How come? I'll tell you how come. Because the ministry of the Word that happens here on Sundays for this time we have together, that is not enough by itself to sustain a vibrant spiritual life. You've got to be consuming God's Word on your own at home in small groups. And so good preachers, and that's what we're trying to be for you all, we will try to help and equip you to do that. Now, everything I've said up until this point in that is something really, really important uh, that's been happening. It's kind of hidden in plain sight. What is it? I like to say it is the essential criterion for me being here as your rector and for me staying on as your rector. Let me put it like this. Those who cease to preach God's word should not be in the pulpit. It's hit the road, Jack. If that happens, pull me down. Make me a cake that says good riddance. Send me on my way. You have God's authorization. Those who preach as St. Paul are to preach the word of God in and out of season. 2 Timothy 4.2. Remember that verse. Inversely, and now I'm going to say something for you guys. When it comes to, let's say, leaving a church. A lot of people have been church shopping and moving around. When it comes to leaving a church, at least with respect to the sermon, to the ministry of the word, you should not do that unless the preaching is no longer biblical. A lot of folks these days move churches because they want something more entertaining, they want something more sensational, not because they want something more biblical. Let God's core standard be your core standard, the thing that matters most to you, does it? Time to move on. Now, to say that preaching is uh, to be explicitly and unapologetically biblical does not mean, it does not mean that the sermon has to be a wooden dry, verse-by-verse explication of the text. I know that there are famous preachers who have taught that. I know there are textbooks which teach that. I know there are seminaries which teach that. With all due respect, I object. Because there are good biblical grounds for saying that preaching should also be creative. If you look through the New Testament, you scroll through it, you're going to see different types of literature, different ways of presenting and explaining the gospel and the meaning of God's word. Sometimes you find things that are really systematic, uh, tightly organized arguments. That's sort of what you find in the book of Romans, for example. It's a tightly organized argument. Other parts of the New Testament are really poetic, lots of vivid imagery. Uh, It's like listening to a beautiful concert. That's kind of like what you find in John's gospel. It's very poetic and beautiful. And there's still other parts of the Bible, they rattle your bones. It's no-nonsense declarations. It's polemic. It's God's word in the form of a sonic boom. It's like a bucket of cold water in the face, and we all need that sometime. You find that in the book of Revelation. You find that in the book of Jude, second to last book in the Old Testament. There are arguments. There are stories. There are illustrations. There's poetry. There's polemic. It's all in the Old and the New Testament. And the point is this. The inspired prophets and apostles who wrote the Bible each wrote in their own way. Each wrote in their own way. What we're talking about here might be called sermon craft. And sermon craft clearly invites creativity and artistry. It's all over the Bible. And just as the apostles are creative in their presenting and preaching of God's word, so too should be the preachers 
who stand in their line. We should be concerned about sermon craft and use creativity. We should always be trying to find that sweet spot, you might say, between exposition of the words of the text and illustration of what the text is saying and application of what the text means. And you know what? That's going to be different for different congregations, and it's going to be different with different preachers. But here's the thing. There's a lot of discernment involved in that. Striking an apt balance for any given congregation doesn't come quick and easy. It takes discernment. It's a slow achievement, but we're committed to that. Now, at a personal level, this is why, for instance, the preaching I do here in Christ the King of Polly's Island is a little bit different from the sermons I sometimes gave over in England, in Oxford and Cambridge. And those sermons, for their part, were a little bit different from the sermons I gave out in Vancouver sometime. What we're talking about is being attuned to the congregation you're preaching to, to try to preach and communicate in a way that is maximizing our capacity to understand and receive and hopefully to rejoice in God's Word. And preachers see that as an act of service and love. That's part of how I desire to serve and to love you, even though I'm going to do that imperfectly. Stephen's going to do it imperfectly. Rob's going to do it imperfectly. But that is an act of service and love. Now, especially important to sermon craft is this thing called humor. As one old preacher once put it, there's no reason why the preaching of God's Word should be a miserable operation either to the speaker or to the preacher. I love that quote, Charles Spurgeon. Now, here's the thing with humor. It is at one and the same time wonderful but dangerous. It's wonderful, but dangerous. What do I mean? I'll tell you what I mean. On the one hand, humor is wonderful because Mary Poppins was right. A spoonful of sugar does make the medicine go down. Yes, it does. Sometimes the truths that we encounter in God's Word, all you have to do is read it, and you'll know what I'm talking about. They are weighty. They are hard to hear. They can unsettle. They can annoy. They annoy me sometimes. It's tough medicine, and humor can make the medicine go down a little bit easier. By the way, the tough medicine I'm talking about here, you're probably all thinking, yeah, it's kind of negative medicine. It can actually also be positive tough medicine. For instance, God's Word tells me that I am more sinful than I can ever really fathom. That's hard to hear. If I say that to you sometimes because I'm quoting God's Word, that's hard to hear. That's tough medicine. But the Bible also tells me that I am more profoundly and deeply loved than I can ever imagine. And for some of us, that is really hard to receive. That is really hard to receive. It's tough medicine in a positive sense, too. Back to the main point. That's for you, Vinny. Not, not what I just said, but that line, back to the main point. We had to change something up earlier. On the other hand, humor can be dangerous. And this is true for two reasons. Number one, it can be dangerous because it can be offensive. What makes you chuckle makes somebody else irate. And I have stepped on that booby trap before. Don't want to do that doesn't happen as much here as it did in Vancouver. Everybody was very sensitive out in Vancouver. Uh, more importantly, humor can be dangerous because, well, let's just say it can, it can push all the medicine out of the spoon. And so all that's left is sugar. That's all you get is sugar. The gravitas gets crowded out by hee-hawing. It's all laughs and no conviction. The sharp edges get rounded down. And so there is, and I'm going to speak very candidly here, there is no real sense that the preacher, me, is a dying man or woman preaching to dying people. We don't want to lose sight of that. A friend of mine carved that. It's a representation of what I just said. Now that tendency to... um, overdo the sugar, you might say it's an occupational hazard for we preachers. And it's not hard to understand why. For starters, it's nice to make people laugh. Who doesn't like that? Everybody likes to make people laugh. That's why comedians love their jobs. More important than this, the overuse of humor is a temptation 
because it is not an easy thing to preach the challenging and confrontational parts of God's word, those parts that might cause an affront. That's not easy to do. And that is precisely why we need to look again at the short reading from Acts 20, which Kim just brought to us. This is St. Paul speaking. Let me read you his words. Listen carefully. He says, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all, because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What Paul is saying, this is really sobering, certainly for me, is that when preachers fail to preach the whole counsel of God, everything God says, then the blood of the hearers is on their hands. Your blood is on my hands. That's a vivid image, isn't it? So let me put it like this. There are things in the Bible that we need to hear. We may not want to hear them, but we need to hear them. And if we don't hear them, we're in jeopardy. We are in jeopardy of eternal separation from God, and nobody would ever ask for that if they knew what it actually meant. We are in peril of becoming the worst versions of ourselves, people of bad character, self-centered, deluded, curving inwards on ourselves. We are in jeopardy of seeing the power of sin out in the world and in me spoil relationships and marriages and virtue. This happens all the time. This happens all the time. But it is less likely to happen when God comes into your life and becomes your advisor, your counselor, my savior. It is less likely to happen. But guess what? If you don't hear what God's saying, if you don't hear everything he says, the whole counsel of God, there's, there's no help. There's no hope. Preachers got to remember this. I have to remember this. I need you to remember this. Now, to be sure, sometimes we'll get it wrong. Sometimes the balance is going to be off. There's too much sugar, not enough medicine. There's too much medicine, not enough sugar. That's going to happen. But I must continually allow myself to be exhorted by God's injunction to preach his whole counsel. Everything in the Bible, not just the pleasant and pretty parts. And so here's what it comes to. I want you to laugh. When we preach, we want you to laugh, but we're not the parish comedians. I want you to like me, but more than that, I want you to respect me. Why? Because of my commitment to bring to you all the parts of God's word, not just the ones that are pleasant and easy to hear. And I want us all to come to rejoice in the experience of being convicted, spiritually convicted, and to perceive that when that happens, we're actually being invited into life in elevation. It's kind of like getting cut by a surgeon when you have some sort of tumor. They cut that off. It's a cut that leads to life. So, Lord, give me your whole counsel. Heal me. Everything I've just said to you, that mentality is strikingly different from what we see right now today in our culture. Not too long ago, I was listening to a talk by a sociologist called Brene Brown. Some of you might have heard of her. She's got some really interesting things to say. And uh, she was lamenting in this talk the tendency towards over-affirmation that is rife in our culture. Sometimes they call it toxic positivity. What an interesting phrase. We squeeze out any space for the constructive criticism that everybody needs to grow and develop into a healthy, mature human being. And Brene Brown said that it used to be that when kids were on the swimming team and they were practicing with the coach, they'd swim down to one end of the pool and swim back. It used to be that the coach would either give them a thumbs up, a thumb in the middle, or a thumb down. That's how it used to be. But nowadays, parents are constantly intervening. Maybe some of you are intervening. You should not do this. Intervening to say, only a thumbs up for my kid. Even if they drown, you will give them a thumbs up. It's all sugar and no medicine. But not here. And that is why I pray that when I die, whether it's in two days or in 30 years, I would be remembered, and I think Rob and Stephen would share this prayer, I would be remembered not so much for making you laugh, though I love laughing with you, 
not so much for any great eloquence I may have had in my preaching, though I always strive for a good facility with words, not so much for pumping you up with feel-good hallmark messages, though I always want you to leave in hope, but to the contrary, to be remembered foremostly as someone who strived to fulfill the apostolic commission by preaching the word of God, his whole counsel, consistently, constantly, joyfully, in season and out of season. And that is for my benefit too. Can I have an amen? I need an amen for that. Amen. One final thing I want to spotlight, and this is that preaching should look to encounter. Hebrews 4, the last thing that Kim read for, says this. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. What we're being told here is that when it comes to God's word, to the preaching of God's word, we should not expect just to receive some information that's interesting, but much more profoundly to experience transformation. Experience transformation. The sermon, in other words, should strive in all of its power to facilitate an encounter with the living God right now. I'm not here just to tell you about what Jesus did in the past. The Bible's not just a historical record of what God did way back then. Oh, no. Is a witness to a God who is living and active. You bet he is. And he is here to be living and active in your life and my life for good. But let me put it like this. The Bible is not a documentary. It is a drama. And the drama is still being filmed. The next episode will be on Netflix next Tuesday. And guess what? You're all part of the cast. It is still happening. When sermons lose sight of the present reality of God, it's like eating a loaf of bread without any flour in it. And so the upshot is that when it comes to preaching, I don't just want to inform you, give you some information, give you a list of things you can go and do to be good this week. I want more than that. I want more than that. The goal is to preach God's word with an eye to being changed on the spot. That leads you not just to think, well, how can I go be more generous this week? Or what can I do to be more forgiving this week? More than that, you just leave being more generous. You just leave being more forgiving because you have encountered the perfect generosity and the perfect forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ and it is melting your heart. And so you can't do otherwise. It's just less easy to be hard-hearted and stingy and unkind and fearful. It's just less easy because you have been changed. Now, of course, that is not something that any preacher can do on their own. I can't make that happen. You know this. Only God can do this sort of stuff. It's been said that the difference between a bad sermon and a good sermon is mainly the responsibility of the preacher. Did they do their homework? Did they prepare well? But that the difference between good preaching and great preaching lies in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, which is why those who preach, like me, should always pray and to ask God to move, to move in your hearts and move in my heart because a sermon cannot replace the work of the Spirit. And that is why, folks, every week before I get up here and preach, I pray I ask some of you to join me in that every Saturday night. You get a text from me. You know who you are. I ask you to join me in praying that God would add weight to his word, that it would be uh, living and active when it is read and when it is preached, and that it would leave us. We would go out of here with some awe and wonder because that's what we need. I do not preach without doing that because I know that what I want to happen when I preach encounter cannot happen by the sermon alone. That's something the Lord has to make. Now, some of you struggle with the sermon. I know that. When this happens, and every preacher knows this, the tendency is to blame the preacher. Sometimes we deserve the blame. 
Or sometimes the tendency is to blame difficulties concentrating. I have trouble concentrating. Never mind the fact that you can concentrate on that two or three hour football game on Saturday afternoon. We'll talk about that later. But here's the thing. I have sat under some of the most celebrated, lively, and engaging preachers of our day. And I have seen people glaze over and conk out. And one of those people may or may not have been the person preaching to you right now. And that has taught me, what that has taught me is that it can quite often be me, the hearer, who has the real issue there. And practically, what do we do about that? Let me say something. What I'm saying here, I've got to add some caveats. What I'm saying is for regular members of Christ the King, not visitors or guests, if you're sleeping right now, keep on sleeping if you're a visitor or guest. Uh, I'm, what I'm saying excludes parents of young children who like to get up all night or get sick. Uh, I had to add this one after the first service. If you're over 75, you're also exempt. Um, and if you had a big family reunion or wedding last night, I'm not speaking to you either. We have those things. But what can we do practically? I might think about how I show up for church. Try to show up in a way that will help me give my best attention to God, not just the fumes. When it comes to things that matter to us, we make choices to enhance those things. You want to go have a great day at the beach? You do some prep and planning. You make sure you got a sunscreen bottle. You make sure you got chairs and an umbrella, a cooler full of ice. Um, some Kool-Aid in the cooler, whatever you like, you know. You do some prep and planning. Uh, that's what we do when we care about things, with things that matter to us, that value. You're going to go take the SAT. You don't show up hungover. By the way, if you're at the age where you're taking the SAT, you should never be showing up hungover anyway. Just one-half percent of our time each year is spent in here together on Sundays, and that is if we all show up every Sunday of the year. We've got to do everything we can to make this time count. But you know what? Taking care of ourselves, of our bodies and our minds in those ways, that's not enough for encounter. It's not enough to help get the most out of the sermon, which is why one of the most important things, probably the most important thing that you can do week in and week out is to simply join me in praying on Saturday night that when you come in here through the worship, through the ministry of the word, you would encounter Christ. Will you do that? Will you do that? Some of you want more. You can have more. You can have more. We're not in here to learn about religion. We come in here to encounter the living God through worship and through his word and to be transformed. That's what we're here for. So will you pray for encounter? If you got that, you got everything. I speak to you in the name of the living God, and I ask, Lord, that we would encounter you today and this week. Amen.